whichever one of those steps you need to take, uh, I will tell you that almost nobody is perfect on all of these ratios. There's almost always some area where you can pick to focus as a family and say, that's the one we are going to choose to focus in on this year. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hello guys, how's it going? This is Mark and I am going to talk this week about financial planning ratios. So this is something that I use when I'm working with clients to give a quick checkup on how somebody's financial situation is based on some ratios of different numbers in their cash flow statement. And the cool thing about these ratios is that you can use them to check up on your own financial health. Now, this is kind of a quick episode. We're going to do this one and one more quick hit for you as the holidays are coming around and we needed to take a little break, but I did not want to leave you guys with no content. So we will probably take just a few minutes to go over these ratios. And then a lot of these ratios are driven by liquid assets, liquid cash that you have on hand. And so next time I'm going to talk about where you should keep that cash and cover some of the best high yield savings accounts out there and the pros and cons of them, why you shouldn't necessarily only look at the interest rate when you're picking a savings account. Okay, so the first ratio that you've probably heard and thought about, you might not even think of it as a ratio, is what we call the living expense ratio. This is also known as an emergency fund. And it measures how much liquid capital, that means it's immediately accessible. You don't have to sell some stocks or an asset like your your house to get to it. So how much liquid capital you have compared to your monthly living expenses. And you know, if you've listened to Dave Ramsey or, or somebody like that, you've probably heard that we want to see at least three to six months. A lot of people confuse the living expense ratio or the emergency fund with the the thing that Mr. Ramsey also talks about, which is a $1,500 emergency expense uh, cash amount. That would just cover if your car broke down, you could fix it. This is not just $1,500. This is really three to six months of living expenses. So you figure out how much it costs to run your household for three to six months, You can strip out some things that you wouldn't do if you were to, say, lose your job all of a sudden. So maybe you would stop uh, putting money into the college account. And that's okay. You can take that out of this and say, you know, if we really thinned it down, what would we need to live? And we want to see at least three months of that. Now, how do you pick three or six months? Um, As a general rule of thumb, we like to say, if you only have one income for a household then six months is definitely a better idea than just three. If you're a two-income household and you both have stable jobs, maybe you work for the federal government and you just are going to have that job as long as you want it, then maybe three months is reasonable. Uh, That doesn't really have anything to do with um, how much cash you have. It's just how much are we going to leave sitting in cash where it's not earning very much for us. And you know, if your income is really reliable, three months is, is probably reasonable. Whereas 
if there's a little bit more risk, six months is a, is a wise minimum for that. Okay, so you've probably heard of that one. Now, uh, the next one I like to cover is called current ratio. And these are actually the same ratios we use when we're looking at a business to purchase or evaluating the health of a business's financial statements. Uh, current ratio shows the ability of an individual or family or, like I said, business to, rep- to repay a short-term debt in the event of an emergency. So if all the cash stops coming in, how long can you keep making payments on your debt? And it's calculated as cash over the short-term liabilities. So let me explain what that means. It means that if you've got things like a credit card balance or a mortgage payment, how much uh, of those regularly occurring um, payments will you be able to cover if you don't have income coming in? So for this, we use the full balance on any consumer debt, like credit cards, And then 12 months of payments on long-term debt. So that could be your mortgage, could be your car loan. So that's a pretty big number, right? And you you take your mortgage payment times 12, your car payment times 12, all of your credit card debt. And we want you to have 1.2 times or more, whatever the total amount there is. Um, This one is sometimes, this is the interesting thing about using lots of ratios here is, Uh, You might have a great living expense ratio, but because you loaded up on debt, uh, student loans can really really send this one sideways. Maybe your current ratio is out of whack, but you may have no debt at all, and you rent a cheap apartment, but you don't have any cash on hand. So your current ratio would look great, but your living expense ratio wouldn't look so good. Um, So that's why we use multiple ratios here. Um, next I want to talk about debt to asset ratio. So this is exactly what it sounds like. You take your debts, add them all up together and divide them by all of your assets. This one can trick people up a little bit if you forget that your house, for example, is an asset. So if you have a $300,000 house and a $200,000 mortgage, and that's the only debt, and let's just imagine that's the only asset you have, then you have a 66% debt to asset ratio. That's just 200,000 over 300,000. A lot of times people forget that the asset is not just the equity they have in their home, but the whole value. You own the whole home, you just owe $200,000 on it. So you add up all your assets, that's all the cash you have, the investments you have, um, cars even can, can be counted as assets, and obviously real estate, things like that businesses, and you take your debt and divide that number by the sum of all your assets. Now, the goal here is to aim for less than or equal to 50%. So that means less than or equal to 50% of your assets are financed with debt. But if you're a brand new homeowner just starting out, you might have taken an 80% or even more loan on a house, and that's a huge part or maybe all of the debt you have you're not going to get to 50% very easily if you're just starting out and that's your situation. So we're less concerned on this one with the 50% number as we are with making sure that number is going down over time. So if you want to calculate this a few months in a row and look at it, the goal is that it's going down. That means we're not adding debt without adding more in assets to, to your family's balance sheet. All right. 
The last one that I want to talk about that has to do with debt is the long-term debt coverage ratio. So this one is not about adding up multiple months of debt payments or anything like that. It's really just if you take the monthly amount of pay that you have available for living expenses. So think after tax and after whatever has to come out of your paycheck. If you've got uh, health insurance and things like that, I usually just pull that out and think, okay, of the, the money I get to allocate each month, um, how much of it is going to make debt payments? So that, again, that could be student loans, mortgages, credit card debt, uh, automotive debt, all sorts of things. Um, and here we're looking for at least two and a half times. So that means you have two and a half times of the amount coming in that you are required to pay to service all of your debt each month. If you have less than that, if you have two times, that means 50% of everything you have available to you in a month is going to debt. That's not a great scenario. And to be frank, I think that aiming for four to five times is really better. Uh, obviously, this one depends a little bit on where you live. If you live in California and want to be a homeowner, it's pretty hard to have five or six or seven times long-term debt coverage ratio. But this is a good one to check in on, and it's a good one, I would say, to target lowering as quickly as possible if it doesn't hit that goal. A couple others that I just want to mention quickly are savings ratio. Here, uh, there's not a, a right number here. I will say that for most people, if you're saving less than 10% of the income you're earning, you're usually not on track to meet long-term goals. It's things like the needs you will have when you're no longer able to make money. For a lot of people, uh, you need to be saving a lot more than 10%. So if you only make $2,000 a month for a family, you might be able to get by on 10% because you're going to have Social Security make up a fairly large portion of your income in retirement. But if you make $500,000 a year, and you're only saving 10%, you don't have a hope of maintaining that same level of uh, lifestyle that you've got now. So it can it can vary, but 10% is a good reference point. And the last one is a giving ratio. So every time I'm working with a client, I calculate a giving ratio. I recommend that everyone do this as well. It can be enlightening and you could say, man, we thought we were giving 10%, but when we calculate it out, we're giving 2% or we're giving 20%. And I don't, we should probably do a whole podcast on percentages and generosity because if you listened to Stephen's series on a unified theory of giving, you'll get a sense for how we think about generosity and the quick story is we don't think of it as a percentage that you get to just give that percentage and check a box. Um, but I do think it's really valuable to know exactly what percentage of your income is going to generosity. And I don't think that that is limited to checks you write to 501c3 organizations. So this will take a little bit of work on your part to unearth what, what part of our budget is really generosity focused. Uh, it doesn't always have to be checks that we're writing to organizations that we get a tax deduction for. So I like to use 10% as a place to start the conversation. And I also like to use the goal of increasing every year as a percentage of your income. So there might be years where your income is dramatically less or dramatically more, but 
one of the questions our family asks is, are we increasingly giving more of our budget every year? And that can be hard. That's why I really would say this deserves more than a quick, a quick mention. But going back to that unified theory of giving series that Stephen did, this really became fun for our family when we figured out how to align our giving with our family vision. Uh, and frankly, it becomes really fun to increase that, that percentage for us every year. So those are some financial health ratios that you guys can use to self-evaluate um, and figure out you know, where are we at in terms of how we're allocating funds. This obviously has implications for your budget. You might say, well, we're really good on a few of these and completely out of whack. Some of these can be fixed with a budget. Some of these you actually have to go out and deal with debt. Others you need to save over time to, to accumulate some, some liquid cash that you would have available for an emergency. Whichever one of those steps you need to take, uh, I will tell you that almost nobody is perfect on all of these ratios. There's almost always some area where you can pick to focus as a family and say, that's the one we are going to choose to focus in on this year. So I hope this is helpful to you. And like I said, a lot of these are driven off cash and how much cash and liquid assets you've got available. And that's a common question I get is where should I keep this cash, Mark? Next week, I'm going to break out. uh, Actually, I don't know if it'll be next week, but next time we need a shorter episode, sometime between now and the end of the year, we will break out where we think the best high yield savings accounts are to keep money that you just don't want to invest in the market and then how to think about the portion of your money that you should maybe not have in savings but should invest in something a little riskier that could get you a better return. So I think that'll be a useful episode to you guys as well. For now, I wanted to kick this out and I hope that you're all enjoyed the Thanksgiving holiday and are getting ready for a lovely Christmas. From Abraham's Wallet, this is Mark Parrott and I will catch you guys next week. (laughs) 